This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season, we bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations who are all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple-maker. Today's podcast features the Relational Discipleship Network, RDN for short, and their track about five key components of a disciple-making church. One of the RDN board members, Brandon Gindon, has taken the key components from this track and put them through the filter of disciple-making culture. He put this together in a book form, and it's called Disciple-Making Culture. The subtitle is Cultivate Thriving Disciple-Makers Throughout Your Church. This is a discipleship.org resource, and you can find the link to buy this book through our website. But we wanted you to know that we've created a free visual intro to this book that you can download for free. Just go to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Disciple Making Culture Visual Introduction. The book offers you practical guidance on changing the culture at your church into a church that's focused on disciple making, where it's something you are, not just something you do. So get the free primer to this resource at discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Disciple Making Culture Visual Introduction. The episode from RDN today is called Intentional Leader, Scouting, Recruiting, and Developing an Army of Disciple Makers featuring Jim Putman, Brandon Gindon, Bob Reed, and Luke Yetter. Here it is. All right. Thank you for being at this session. It is Intentional Leader, Scouting, Recruiting, and developing an army of disciple makers. My name is Luke Yetter. I'm the director of our network, the Relational Discipleship Network. I'm also a pastor at Real Life Ministries in Pulse Falls, Idaho. I want to say thank you for coming here. Thanks for picking this session. Do you have one of these handouts? If you do not, raise your hand and we'll get one to you. So Eric's handing some out. Mark, keep your hand up and we'll get some to you. Thank you. All right. So we just did our first session was on spiritual maturity. How are you defining it? What is it? This session, as I said, is on intentional leader. We have a three more relational environment, uh, disciple making process and alignment. So those last two will be tomorrow. Our next session will be on relational environment. And so they all kind of go together. We looked at the life of Christ and said, man, we see five clear things he did. He cared about relationship. He was very intentional. That's this session. He also created a relational environment with his disciples. He had a disciple-making process. It's our fourth session. And fifth is he cared about unity and alignment. All right, so here's our format. We're going to do about, one person's going to speak for about 15 minutes. And the next person's going to speak for about 15 minutes. And then we're going to go to Q&A session. And so on your table are these blank cards. Any questions you have, write on there. We'll see if we can get them answered. We'll pass them forward, and we'll just go through as many questions as we can. We also have a next steps card. If you're interested in anything in this booklet, you can fill that out, and we'll contact you. So if you're up there and you want a next step card, we ask you to just fill it out, bring it down to one of these tables, and just leave it, and we'll uh, we'll get a hold of you. Okay, so Bob Reed. So Bob Reed was a senior pastor at... Riverside is a church in Fort Myers, Florida, and he's got a great story. And he went there, he had to shift that culture. So as he shifted the culture over about a seven-year period, eight-year period time, I think when you got there, I don't know if it was like a, maybe a, a thousand, you got it down to about five, six hundred. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Great job. Great job. It's a gift. It's a gift. But then the Lord just did some crazy stuff, right? And it it came back up. So uh, it's a great topic. And then Bob felt uh, called to help another church out. And uh, (laughs) after he did a great job, they love him over there. He felt called (laughs) to go to a Psy Life and help help do that journey. You have a passion to help uh, lead change. You have a passion for churches to make the shift. And uh, I love to throw this out to you and just say, when it comes to shifting the culture intentionally, what are some things that you did at Riverside that would be real helpful? Because I'm guessing there's a lot of people in positions of they're running a ministry. They want to shift the ministry. 
or they're the senior pastor and they want to shift the whole church. So uh, changing culture does not happen by chance and it does not going to happen by passive leadership. So in 2011, uh, I, had, I was in Fort Myers, Florida. Uh, the, I had talking to our small groups guy who oversaw a discipleship, small groups, that kind of thing. And I was super frustrated because I felt like uh, I'm looking at the state of the church and I'm looking at marriages that are, you know, the, the, what's happening in the church and outside the church, the percentages of failures and divorce and all that stuff seem to not be much different. I see in teenagers leaving church youth ministries uh, and kids are drifting away. 60 to 80% of kids are walking away from their faith after leaving church youth ministries. And I'm just like, what are we doing? You know, as a college athlete, I like to win. I want to, I want to figure this thing out. And I knew I was going to stand before God and give an account for the bride of Christ that he gave me the privilege of leading. And when, it look, when I look at making disciples and I'm looking at the product we're producing, if you will, I didn't feel like we were doing a great job. And so I'm trying to figure this out. And so uh, I was talking to him. I said, listen, man, this isn't your fault, but I want to figure this out because I feel like I'm leveraging as much influence as I can up here preaching, trying to get people into a small group. And then at the end of the day, we're really hoping something sticks. And I don't want that, you know? So what are we, what are we gonna do? And he's like, hey, I have this book. And I'm like, ah, oh, not another book, you know? Cause you have tons, stacks of books, right? And just real life discipleship books. I'm like, just give it to me. And so I started reading it and I loved it. I just ate it up. It made sense to me. Jim used language in there that just totally connected, uh, made sense, things that I was trying to articulate but couldn't really formulate, and he was able to do that in that book, so it was super helpful. So I'm like, all right. So I grabbed a group of guys, and I'm going to try to really condense this, uh, grabbed a group of guys and said, listen, I want to go through this, pick it apart, because you know you go to conferences, and, and you say, oh, that church was huge. Let's just do what they did, and we expect that there's gonna, that's going to happen, and, and I knew that wasn't the thing, and so I just want to figure out there are questions they had to ask to get to where they got. I want to figure out the right questions in our context of Southwest Florida. And so we're going through this, you know, took a group of guys through it in a couple weeks, the the book and the workbook. We're just inhaling it because we just wanted to try to figure this out. Then I got a group of about six, seven other influential guys in our church said, listen, would you go through this with me? I really want to figure. So we did that. And then, you know, all of them just love to say, yep, we absolutely think this is something we need to do. And so then it's like, okay, I'm going to start taking our staff and elders. Well, this process started in May. Okay, we're trying to go through it now with our staff and elders, and uh, and I want to kick off our new discipleship program in September. All right, because how hard could this really be, right? I mean, Post Falls, Idaho, for heaven's sakes, right? I mean, let. So 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 again, so as we're as we're going through this, the elders are going, Bob, slow down, and I'm like, no, 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 and and realize they didn't have. So the DS one that Luke's going to mention, it's in the back, I think, of your book. They're gonna. Uh, it's a two-day experience. It used to be called a uh, used to be called immersion. They would have one almost every month, or at least close to that. But they were always sold out until November. Well, who wants to go to Idaho in November, right? And and so, but that's the only time that was the first one even available. And so I'm like, I can't wait to November. We got to get moving. And the elders kept going, Bob, slow down, slow down. Because again, I've gone out the church in Florida, Southern Baptist Church. It, uh, was getting, it, we celebrated a hundred years. Okay. So it's, this isn't, this isn't some like new thing type of deal, right? This is a, a church that had been steeped in tr- lots of tradition. And so, so I'm like, all right, finally, you know, concede. Okay. That's fine. We'll slow down. We'll wait till the, you know, the, the conference. So we get, so we're flying up there. I took my worship, uh, excuse me, my small groups guy and two of our elders to this conference and we, as, as we're flying over, because they had taken care of the details, so I said, hey, hey, Eric, I said, what, exactly how many people are going to be at this conference? Because I'm used to probably, like many of you, not like a size of this or much bigger, like 5,000 people or, you know, 2,000 people, whatever, at a conference. And you go, and you're really trying, you're, 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 you're really looking for information, right? That, 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 at least that I'll speak for me. I was looking for information. I wanted to figure this thing out. And he goes, oh, I don't know, maybe 80 people. Immediately, I'm, I'm no joke. I'm like, oh, you're going to have to hang out and talk with people and interact. And like, no offense, but like, it's cool to talk. But like, I'm never going to see you again, probably. So like to act like I care would be false, you know. And so I'm going to like, you guys did something right. I want to know what you did. I want to figure this out. And so, the, so immediately at this DS1 thing that's, that I'd highly encourage all of you to go to, 
it just wrecked me. From the very beginning, all the, oh, for those next two days, and Brandon, the guy that'll be up here in a little bit, he was my facilitator, and it just wrecked me. And it was over those two days what God began to expose in me that I ended up having to literally that Sunday, I flew back on Saturday night, I'm preaching the next day. And what God was doing in me, I felt like, you know, if you've ever preached and you, maybe you've had this experience where you're preaching and the Holy Spirit's telling you to say something and I'm disagreeing, right? You're like, and you're preaching and he's saying, say this. And you're like, uh-uh, right? And you're trying, and here's, and here's what it was. Bob, your relationship with me has become very professional. And if I'm ever gonna do what I wanna do in your church, which is about making disciples, it's gonna start with you first. And so it's one of those deals of closing my Bible and saying, listen, I need to confess. And what God began to do in our church started with me choosing to be honest and open and transparent about where I was with Jesus. And that needed to change because if I'm going to be a disciple first and then a disciple maker, it had to really be with me learning to really abide, not for another message, but for me to walk with Jesus. And I can't keep expecting my church to be a disciple and be disciple makers because it's not something I get to delegate. It's something I've got to live out first. And so what God started wrecking in me and showing in me is that, that if I'm going to lead a disciple-making culture, I've got, it's got to start with me. It's got to start with me within my home as a husband and a father to four. It's going to start with me with our staff and our elders. And so one of the things I said to our staff and our elders, well, first off, I was so convicted. I was so convicted. Like I can't do church ministry the same way I've been doing it. I mean, God, I believe was blessed by it. I believe he was honored by it. I was trying to be obedient to really what I knew, but our churches always grew. I was a youth pastor for a little while. Those ministries always grew. We saw lots of kids come to Christ and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm like, man, I'm so convicted that if I do ministry any other way than the way I feel like God just pounded me over the head in those two days of, of learning how to make discipleships in relationship. Like it was so strong, I really believed this, that I would be in sin. And so I went to our elders. And thankfully, two of them had gone with me. And I said, guys, listen, I know I've already brought some change to this church. And to bring another significant change might really create a huge problem. I said, but unfortunately, I can't keep doing church this way. And so I would rather graciously and quietly resign and go get a job outside the church than to keep doing church this way. And I said, I will give my resignation. If, and I said, this isn't a power play. This isn't a, you know, you know, give me my way or else. I said, this really is just pure out, just, just conviction. And thankfully they said, no, 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 no. We really want to go in this direction. So over the next number of years, really, it started us just saying, listen, it starts with us. And I told our elders and I told our staff, we have nothing to export to the rest of the church body if we don't live it out with one another. And so we're gonna have to walk this stuff out personally. And we're gonna have to start living this out together. And we didn't do it perfectly, I can promise you. There's plenty of things with the elders. Jim and I have talked, he's given me a lot of good counsel of just saying, man, I just, there were things that I blew it. And I should have done a better job relationally and I disconnected or, or you know, trying to really invest and pour into staff. And, and, and then you know, things happen that are super painful and difficult. And I told him, I was like, man, if I wasn't so convicted that this is the way God has called us to walk this stuff out, I'd go back to the old way of ministry because it's painful and it's hard super hard. And that's why this intentional leader piece is so critical. Because for you, whether you're a senior pastor or you're a small groups pastor or you're a volunteer or whether you're, uh, you know, director of women's discipleship or whatever your role is, whatever it is, a mom, husband, student, whatever it is, Intentional leadership is absolutely critical because it's not going to happen by chance. To think about, so for me to think about where, what does it look like for me to be an intentional leader, intentional disciple maker in my home? Literally, I just got a text a few minutes ago from my son. He's getting married. I've got four kids. My daughter's married. We've got one grandchild, one on the way. We've, my son's a high school pastor. 
another son's getting married in, in February. My other son's graduating high school. And I take very seriously the discipleship of my family. And so my one son, been taking him through the divine mentor because I told him, I said, son, you can't. I said, you have no business getting married and leading somebody else if you can't lead yourself. And so for your abiding with Jesus is going to be super critical. And so, you know, and so I've been taking him through the divine mentor. It's a great resource by Wayne Cordero. Anyway, so he sends me, he sends me a text of what his, his, uh, his study with the Lord was today. And he says, Dad, he says, in the back of the book, he says, you're, if, if all you're going to remember or all you're going to retain or all you're going to read is about 10% of, of God's word, why would God entrust you with more? He goes, it was just so convicting that I need to spend more time with Jesus. Now, come on. Who wouldn't want their 21-year-old to say, man, I need to really spend time with Jesus? More time. Because I know I, if... I've, in order for me to lead myself, in order for me to lead my new bride, it's going to take this abiding. So for you as an intentional leader in your home, what does it look like for you to walk this out and disciple your family? What does it look like with your staff or with your volunteers? What does it look like for you to lead that out in your church? And so everything that, that God has been convicting me on is, as, as we kind of try to live this out. Greg, do you mind putting that back on so I don't, I don't go over? Thank you is that it's going to be super important for me to say, okay, what does it look like for me to intentionally lead and to be able to tell our staff, listen, just what I'm doing with you now, I want you to start doing with your volunteers. And so when, when uh, I left Riverside and I went to this church in Houston, the, the whole purpose of me going, I took a campus. So there was a church that had a campus out in a place called Cypress, which is Northwest Houston, and my whole purpose of going there was to take that campus and make it its own autonomous church. And so we did that over the last year and a half. And, and again, what did I start doing? I get in there and I'll start, what I immediately started doing is pouring in and investing into our staff because they had heard a lot of the language, right? Similar language, but had no context of what it looked like. They had heard it a bunch, but they had no clue because they hadn't experienced it. And so how do I expect them to go live it if they haven't experienced? So for the first eight months to a year has just poured into them, loving them, having them into my house, having dinners, having things with their spouses, caring for them, literally taking up a ton of my time during the week, pouring in and shepherding them, caring for them. The very first thing, they'll tell you, the very first thing, you come to my office and you have a to-do list, I'm going to say, put it aside. How are you doing? Like, what's going on with you and Jesus? How are you and your wife? How are you and your husband? What's going on with your kids? How can I pray for you? And I'm telling you, my natural bent, just, just my natural bent is to go after task. That's my wiring. I want to go after the next mountain. I want to go after task. I want to drive those things. But I know we can't create a relational discipleship culture if I'm not willing to slow down and invest in them relationally. And so as we've been doing that, then it's taking them through things during staff meeting, during other parts of our, our schedule, making sure that their schedules have the end. Where, where are you caring for the people that you're, do you know their stories? Do you know what's going on with your volunteers' marriages? Do they know that you care more about them than you do about what they're gonna do to serve you? What are, we, what are you doing with your elders? How are you pouring in? I went to every single small group in our entire church in the first few months because I just wanted to be able to have face time with people to let them know, listen, I care about you. I look forward to getting to know you. I want to be approachable because what I say on stage, I don't want you to feel as a disconnect personally. And so again, it's going to cost you a ton of time and it might mean you have to go slow in order to go fast. But it's going to first involve you personally abiding with Jesus and choosing to believe that it starts with you. It's not something you get to delegate. You might be able to delegate responsibilities, but you can't delegate that leadership and that vision carrying that you as a senior pastor or you as a primary leader in your home, husband, wife, that it starts with you. 
and you holding that mantle and you carrying that out and you inviting people to come along with you, but it always comes back to intentional leadership. Thanks. Thank you, Bob. What, what I love about you, Bob, your heart to uh, move, move, move slow, to move quick. I don't know who he is. He had 30 seconds left. That who is, is he? Who is he? Look what the Lord can do. Look at what the Lord can do. <laughs> oh, man, all three mics. So, uh, Bob, there was some truth to what I said when I said the numbers went down a little bit because you started, some people started getting uncomfortable with just going to church and Bob was challenging them to be the church and then doing his best to personally walk it out. And, uh, there wasn't a lot of complaining like three or four years later when you guys were completely out of room and rolling to another service. But for a while there, it was different. It was challenging. What are some things you heard Bob say that stood out to you? A couple things. Does it happen by chance? Hence, intentional. Love that. Yeah, yeah. Caring about people for people more than the task they can produce. Absolutely awesome. Yeah, if you, if you don't, say it again, say it up there. Yeah, it's hard to challenge, right? Somebody that you're not personally modeling it, right? We know who, what kind of leader we'd want to follow. Somebody that's modeling it, not just asking us to do something they're not willing to do. What was down here? Somebody said. Yeah, you can't delegate discipleship. Bob, that's pretty good. Look at they were they were paying attention. That's pretty good. No. That's awesome. Thank you for engaging. All right, so Mr. Jim Putman. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So Jim, uh, most people know you. I mean, really, but you planted a church about 18, 19 years ago, Pulse Falls, Idaho, and walked out. The first session was, "What do we mean by spiritual maturity? How important is relationship with God and His people?" And from that viewpoint, you were passionate about making disciples. The church grew, and it was a small town of 10,000 to 30,000 in Pulse Falls. And so it became one of the fastest-growing churches in America. And then you planted a variety of churches out of there. A lot of those churches have grown using the same method, which we would say is Jesus' method. And uh, when it comes to being intentional, I happen to get the opportunity to be on uh, Jim's staff for 11 years. He's, He's very intentional. And I'd love for you to share what are some things that you're intentional about but also, also even share the heart from why, also as you describe it, because I think it's really important. Yeah, again, I just want to always point to Scripture. Is everything, does everything that Bob say, or did everything that Bob say, could you support it with Scripture? Paul said, imitate me as I Imitate Christ, right? What you've seen in me, what you've heard from me, he said. Right? As Brandon said in the first session, you know, I shared my very life with you. I I preached the word to you, but I shared my very life with you. Right? To the Thessalonians. So, a couple of things. Intentionality for me means that you... You, you understand what you're doing and why you're doing it, but you don't expect other people to know why you're doing it. So you're doing what you're doing with the other person in mind. It's the difference between a player's mindset and a coach mindset. A player's mindset is come and watch me play and, and uh, uh, marvel at my greatness. A coach's mindset is I am here to get you to do it not to do it for you. So though I will model it for you, my end intention is that you can pick it up and do it. The the mystery and the beauty of God's church uh, is that Jesus used ordinary unschooled people to change the world. And it wasn't that complex, it just wasn't easy. Right? Right? So what you're doing is you're modeling something and then there's the debrief period is the most important thing. What did you see me do? Why do you think I did that? What do you think I was looking at? What did you see? What would you have done different? You understand what I'm saying? So you're, you're, you're doing what you're doing with another person in mind. And I'm talking about every part of what you do. If you're a preacher, 
and you want your small group leaders to uh, reproduce, why don't you have to reproduce? Why is it your pulpit? Why shouldn't you be reproducing at every level? The goal, if, if you're a coach, is to raise up people, not have them sit there and watch you. So it's, who are you? What are you? And by the way, is that biblical too? God gave pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists to prepare God's people for, or to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ could be built up, right? These are all, you're a coach, not a player. And you're not just giving people the menial task because they're not smart enough or good enough or trained enough to do it. If that's what you're doing, then you're, you're creating a, a, something that's not reproducible and something that doesn't go into every crook and cranny, you know, fills everything in every way in the community. People's jobs just become, come and watch my coach play. If they're really spiritual, they'll invite somebody to watch, uh, to, to come to church so you can win them to Jesus. They'll bring them to your church so that your youth minister can disciple their kids. Right? Okay. I had a quick question. Uh, would you share a little bit of your schedule throughout the week? Just when we think of being intentional, we're talking about modeling. We're talking about investing in people, spending time. Would you share as a church of thousands and thousands, like what does it look like to be a senior pastor at a mega, mega church, but still try to hold to these values? Well, one of the things that we do in our church is... Um, uh, man, okay. Uh, you asked me two different questions, and again, I want to get to the why, and you want me to do the what. So, which do I first, the why or the what? Do the what and then the why. The what and then the why. There you go. I will submit to your authority, Luke Yetter. Finally. We have that on video. We have that on anywhere. Uh, what I do is I my schedule, and, and again, when I was smaller, or when our church was, when I was smaller, when our church was smaller, uh, <laughs> it's so good. Uh, Tonight, we're going to have some fun with that oh, one. Yeah. Uh, you know, I did it a little bit differently, obviously, than you do when you've got thousands and thousands. But um, my schedule is built uh, around, first of all, uh, everybody on our staff, almost all of our staff were raised from within. They got saved in our church or became a part of our church. Brandon was a the guy who spoke in the last group. He was a medical office manager. Luke was an absolute pagan uh, business owner. You know, um, Blake was a, was a medical office manager. He's here with us. You know, you, you name it. All of our church planners got saved. Uh, or became ministers other than one through the process. So um, what we did is, as uh, uh, what, what I would do is I would go, okay, my goal is to uh, help people come to know Christ, get them connected, train them to uh, have a heart for the Lord, and then make them disciples who could make disciples. And so I would uh, set up my schedule in such a way that I did two things. First of all, I have a ministry job but I also have a personal ministry. So the way you got on our staff was you, you actually made disciples. You were a disciple maker. You branched groups. You, you coached groups, uh, group leaders. And, and so everybody's a disciple, but some people are called to full-time ministry. And so you want to disciple everyone, but some have leadership gifts in one variety or another, and some are called to full-time ministry. So what we would do is we would say, uh, the way you got on our staff is you're a disciple maker. You don't get to leave being a disciple maker uh, so that you can run a system of disciple making. Everybody else has a job in the world, and we ask them to do their job and then come and be a disciple maker. You have a job, 40 hours a week in the church. That's your job, but you're a disciple maker. So you don't get to leave being a disciple maker. And, and, and so to this day, I lead a life group at my house. I have a men's group on Wednesday morning. I have a men's group on Thursday afternoon. And, uh, and so I'm doing disciple making all the time. All right. And then I, I am involved in the leadership of the church. And so... Um, what I would intentionally do is make sure I was making disciples 
and inviting people into that process to, be, to make disciples too. Now, what, what happens a lot of times is you organize your church for disciple making before you actually have disciple makers. Make disciples as disciples multiply. Now you add organization to the structure. A lot of times you are organizing something that there isn't enough of them to organize. Right? As you make disciples, numbers grow. With numbers comes needed organization, administration. One of the gifts of, of the Spirit is leadership, administration. And But some of you are trying to administrate something without the need for the administration because there's nobody making disciples that's bringing in new people. Once you start making disciples that make disciples and you're modeling that, and you're showing that, then some of these other things have to start taking priority in your job. Does that make sense to you? So I would set up my schedule based on disciple-making is everybody's responsibility. Uh, what, in order to, some, a lot of people ask you, how do you be a senior pastor with all that entails and do the disciple-making? How do you do that? Well, then I will always ask, well, what does it all entail to be a pastor? Then they tell me, you got to go to the hospital. You got to do the weddings. You got to do the funerals. You got to plan the sermons. You got to do this. You got to do that. And I'm like, okay, so you think it's your job to pastor everybody. And your people think it's your job to pastor everybody because they've been trained to believe your job is to do everything for them. Your job is to pastor people, show them how to pastor people intentionally, debrief what you're doing so that now you have multiple disciple-making pastors, small group pastors, who can actually go to the hospital for their people. I don't want to get there and go, oh, my pastor's here. I want to get there and see their whole group is there, including their small group leader, and go, what are you doing here? We got this. Well, great, but I wanted to come. You can't stop me from coming. (laughs) You see the difference? Your job is to get other people in the game, create systems. First of all, make sure that in your life group, you're helping people connect salvation. They were saved by grace through faith for good works, which God planned for them to do before time began. Your job is to help them as a disciple maker, make the bridge between I'm saved to I'm saved for what? My disciple maker helped me find how this guy who thought I had every check mark against me even being saved, now I'm saved, but I surely can't serve anywhere, helped me find my place in the body so that I could be a contributing participant. He quit me and helped me find my place. Now, if we're helping people find their place, now you got a bunch of people serving, a bunch of people connecting, a bunch of people doing these things. And now it, 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 it starts to take a life of its own. They're sharing their faith. They're shepherding people. They're pastoring people. You're modeling this for them. And you're spending your time around, um, the, the, let me say it this way. Man, I need a whiteboard. I'm such a, yeah, okay. Uh, a lot of people see it like this. You've got the, um, You've got the top of the funnel like this. Here's the senior pastor. Here's the elders. Here's the staff. Here's the volunteer leaders. And then down here at the bottom is the people. And their job, it's like the top of the spear. You're the top of the spear. You're penetrating the world. You're shooting into the world completely wrong. You've got to flip that upside down. You are like a general who's making decisions in the room, knowing full well that though, yes, you understand being a soldier and you're still fighting, in your own little small group, if you, if you if move the analogy, as the general, you're supplying the people on the front lines. It's because it's the people on the front lines that are going to be fighting the battle in the world. You're unleashing an army to fight against the, the devil in every place they work, live, go to school, and play. You're doing what you're doing to equip them Instead of you are the top of the sphere and everybody brings their friends to you so you can preach the gospel to them. I can't disciple 6,000 people, but that's not my job. My job is to make sure 6,000 people can be discipled. And the only way that's going to happen is if I make disciples that make disciples. And the only way that's going to happen is if I model for them what it actually looks like in life. So when you're thinking about an intentional leader, here's three things that an intentional, I'll I'll use a coaching analogy, a coach, intentional leader. 
In, in sports, a coach understands the game, can play the game. He actually shows people what to do in the game, right? A coach will, in football, this is what a tackle looks like. Let me show you a tackle. I actually played football. I understand football. I, could, I played the game. They understand the game, right? They, in wrestling, there are three positions in wrestling, top, bottom, and neutral. If you're going to coach wrestling, you have to be able to show the kids top, bottom, and neutral, right? I understand the game. I understand the rules of the game. So I'm going to show you the rules of the game. I'm going to model for you what you're going to do. But I also can, because I played the game enough, I can, and I understand the positions in the game, I can stand in the side of the room of any wrestling room in the country and I can watch and I go, uh, first year wrestler, JV wrestler, maybe varsity, uh, national champion, maybe college level high school kid with the right coaching. I can go weak on the bottom, weak on top. If I'm coaching against you, I know how I'm going to coach against you. You understand? You've played the game. I can show them the rules of the game, model it for them. I can evaluate where you're at and I can create an environment by which you can grow in that. Wherever your weakness is, I'm going to create environments. By the way, we've got five parts of this and they all connect. Next, last time we talked about what is the destination wrestling. I just told you wrestling has three positions, top, bottom, and neutral. A mature wrestler understands all three intellectually, the rules, they understand how to do it against an opponent who's trying to stop you from doing it, and you have the endurance it takes to do it in the third round. It doesn't matter what you know and what you can do if you can't do it when you're tired. Okay, maturity. Last one was, this is a mature disciple. This time, I'm an intentional leader. I'm going to help. I understand the game. I understand where people are at in the process of learning the game and I'm creating environments as a coach. Next time, in the next session, we're going to talk about a relational environment. The next time, we're going to talk about a reproducible process. So each one of these builds on each other, each of these sessions. And all we can do is give you like a taste of it. That's why we've written material. That's why I have discipleship. But we're trying to help you understand what does it actually look like biblically to coach people towards spiritual maturity. You have to understand who you are. The disciples were told to go make disciples who could make disciples. Raise up reliable men who will be able to teach others. Older women teach the younger women. Right? You're an intentional leader. You better understand what that means. But if you're an intentional leader who uses a wrong method, right? If I'm an intentional leader... And I, uh, and I decide I'm going to actually teach you wrestling the way the church teaches discipleship. I'm going to use the church's methodology for discipleship in wrestling. This is what I would do. I would go, uh, guys, this week, we're going to do this every, for 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes, once a week. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you the rule. Let me tell you about the rule. Uh, of, uh, on the, on the uh, neutral position, the most important thing about the neutral position is body position. When you get in a stance, you want your feet about 24 inches apart. I'm just going to explain to you about wrestling. And then I'm going to go, let me show you a double leg. Stand right there. You guys sit right there. Let me do a double leg. I'm going to show you a double leg. Here, double leg, double leg, double. For 35 minutes, I'm going to show you a double leg. How to set up a double leg, how to finish a double leg. I'm going to show you this. All right, now, everybody, come back next week, and I'll show you a single leg. Everybody understand? Now you know what a double leg is. You can do a double leg. You saw it. I showed it to you. If you really want to, go try it on your little sister. Maybe your dad will let you try it on you or your mom. Try your mom. Okay, come back next week and I'll show you a double leg. If I use the church's methodology for making disciples and wrestlers, wrestling, the very best I would ever get was an informed spectator. You know about something, but you can't actually do it unless you fall into it by accident. 
But an intentional leader goes, I understand the game. My goal is to help you understand how to play the game. So here's, what if I used in the church what we do in wrestling? And let me show you the move. Remember what we're doing today. Let's get warmed up. Let's get warmed up. Get it, get, get, everybody get a partner. Stand with your partner next to me. Let me show you a move. Here's how you set it up. Here's how you do it. Now, break into partnerships. Actually, each of you guys, do it together. Do it together. Practice. Here's what you, you've got to be a good partner. You've got to let somebody do this. So get in your stance. This is what being a good partner. This is what you do to be a good partner. This is what you do to do actually the move. Let's, it's called drilling. We're going to do the move over and over and over again. In fact, every day, we're going to drill different moves, the same moves. We're only going to pick about 10 because you can't, you, don't, you can't do 100. We're going to pick 10. By the end of the year, you're going to be able to do that. But then the second half of practice is now your partner is not just going to sit there and let you do it. We're actually going to speed things up a little bit because my goal is to help you do it yourself on a moving target, right? Then I, I've got coaches all around watching. Here's all my little guys over here. Here's coaches here. Whoa, whoa, hold on. Let me show it again. Over here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Here's here. Let me show it again. Uh, somebody gets hurt. Hey, man, quit screwing around over here. People get hurt when you're practicing, you're moving, you're falling over the place because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Hey, no, 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 let's slow down, stop. This. I've got different groups, right? What happens now? Now I start speeding things up and we go full bore. Now I'm going to set up opportunities for you to actually do this with a, in a competition. We're going to actually debrief what you did. I mean, and failure is a part of it. It's okay you failed, but you didn't quit. Keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. Let's do it again. Let's practice again. What, what am I doing now? By the end of that process, what do people actually know how to do? Russell, now I'm going to have the kids who've been doing it before start to train the younger kids. We'll go live a little bit later on. We'll put you guys in a group over here where you get to go at it hard, but don't go live on a brand new kid because you hurt them. We want brand new kids to go with brand new kids with coaching, right? And it's coaching and it's coaching and it's coaching and it's lifestyle and it's running and it's doing that. See, what we do is we use methodologies in the church that don't actually teach anybody to gain endurance, to get coaching and to actually reproduce anything. If we use the church's methodology in anything, a journeyman in plumbing, if we use the church's methodology that's normally used in the church, come 30 minutes for a sermon, we'll sing about it too. I'm going to sing about the glories of wrestling. <laughs> you use that methodology for anything else, you know it doesn't work. Which is why we have the people we have. By the way, wrestling is one of the only biblical sports. Jeez, here we, go. we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual force. You want to know why our kids are leaving the church? Their mom and dads don't know how to wrestle spiritually for their kids. It's good, Jim. It's good. It's good stuff. Love it. Give it up for Jim. Love you, Jim. Here's, here's what I love about Jim's heart. Hopefully you picked up one of the intentional things is creating a place for somebody to play is what we would say, right? Jim created a place for me to play and I was a new Christian and just little bit by little bit by little bit. And so hopefully you're really picking that up that creating a place to play is critical and expect them to not do so good. And when they don't do so good, encourage the crud out of them. And I, I really appreciate that because I had... Uh, Made a couple of mistakes in ministry. <laughs> Whew, came out of the business world. There's a little adjustment there. Um, so one of the things that uh, um, Bob had talked about was making the shift. He had talked about going to that two-day disciple shift. The reason we put it on the, in the back, if you're interested in that two days, here's why we put it in there, is we limit the number of people to about 80 people. Here's why. We're going to bring in and fly in probably anywhere from 10 to 20 different facilitators from across the country who are absolutely passionate about making disciples. They will join you in a very small group. We limit it to about eight people. You will spend 16 hours, not in a monologue setting, in a dialogue setting. And we're going to do our best in 16 hours to model each thing we're talking about. It's not going to be PowerPoint. It's not going to be, it's going to be hands-on and so they fill up, and I would encourage you to sign up if you want to go in that direction, because that's what Bob's talking about. And for us, it doesn't make financial sense. I'm a business guy, and so it doesn't make financial sense to fly in that many people and break them into a small group. We, we lose money almost every time we do it. 
but we're not in it for the money. We're in it for the kingdom. And so I would encourage you to, to, to check into that. Bob, you mentioned shifting your church. Um, and how did you go about doing that? What did, what did coaching yeah, well, play One of the things that? I didn't mention that I think is super important. So um, this did not happen. Like I didn't go to a DS1 and have it all figured out. And so I would call Brandon, which will come up here in a minute, but I, I would call Brandon, who was my facilitator of that DS1. And, and again, he was massively busy. He was the executive pastor with, uh, at Jim's church. And, and so, but he was gracious enough to stay in relationship with me and answer my questions. And I just had a ton of questions like, man, what do I do here? And how do I do this? And, you know, I keep reading the book over and over and over and over again. Didn't have pictures, but it, it would have helped, you know? And, and so just trying to, Again, just trying to figure out, like, how do I, I mean, it, this is a major shift in my whole thinking philosophically uh, with church. And so the RDN, the Relational Discipleship Network, had coaches, or they were just kind of getting this stuff going. And so I, I said, man, I'll do whatever it takes. Uh, financial, I, I just want, I want a coach. I value coaching because I was an athlete. And so I just knew that in order for me to get better, I needed somebody that was farther down the road that was going to be able to help me navigate uh, where we were. And so uh, that was a huge part. Uh, and, and I'll just, I'm going to say this. Um, if you resist coaching or you're kind of like, ah, I don't think I need that. I, I'm going to try to say this incredibly gracious. Um, you're arrogant <laughs> to, impri- to, to think you don't need help. And yet Proverbs tells us. I'd like us, to know what you're not, <laughs> you're not delicate was like. Yeah, you don't. Um, well, you probably, no, anyway. So, so I think that uh, my, my, my encouragement would be, you know, to, to really consider getting coaching to be able to help you. Ne- because I'm telling you, I would have blown up my church with great intentions and passion for dis- making disciples. But, but to have somebody kind of helping me navigate some of those things and getting me to stop and slow down and think through some stuff, um, I could have created a lot of woundedness. And at the end of the day, looking at people and go, well, I meant well, like doesn't cut it. And so to have some guidance and wisdom and help to be able to navigate some of those waters would be incredibly valuable. It was for me, and I would encourage you to strongly consider the same. So anyway. No, love it. Appreciate it, Bob. And the coaching, we do it in small group on Skype and Zoom. We make it as relational as we can. So regardless of what role you do at your church, we have coaching for you. We try to make it really affordable and what's cool about this is after four or five years of you doing this, if you're really passionate about it, we'll usually ask you, hey, would you be willing to coach some churches? Would you be willing to give back and coach churches? That's how we built a network. It's different denominations from churches from different parts of the country, different parts of the world that are willing to coach and just give back on their journey. So Bob, you're a coach. Jim, you're a coach. I want to say thanks for doing that. Love it. Brandon Ginden, would you come up here as we roll into this question and answer? So Brandon Ginden planted a church down in Tomball, Texas about three years ago, as of a week ago, about three years, and planted a disciple-making church, started with investing in a team, and then getting to a, a, a Sunday service about 12 months later. And during that time, you were able to uh, invest in that team. You were able to get that DNA in there, and that was really cool to see. And so I would love for you, as you were listening to whatever, what both Jim and Bob were saying, anything you want to say before we jump into the Q&A? Um, first thing that I heard both of them say and reminded me again um, is just how vital and important it is to be intentional, that it has to start with you. I said that last session, but listening to them both, um, I just, I just, you can't emphasize that enough before it ever goes to anybody else in your church or any, you know, it has to start with you. And one of the parts Jim was talking about, he always does a great job using coaching analogies, um, there is a part where we're coaching the players, but to remember you're coaching people to be coaches, to not just be great players. That's one of the things that, you know, I always tell Jim, I'm so proud of him, the commitment he's made over all these years of how many other guys, men and women around him that are now coaching other people and discipling other people. Um, you know, the analogy, whether you like him or not, Coach K at Duke, I mean, how many former players he has that are now coaching throughout the college ranks is a testimony to his, his coaching ability. Um, that's, those are some things that I heard that, that uh, stood out to me. Yeah. No, love it. All right. On your, on your table, you got these three by five cards. I've had some people turn them in from last session as well. 
So any question you have, write it down, hold it up, and Jason, and we'll have a couple people walk around, and Eric will grab it. I've got a few here I'll start with. And a lot of our questions are regarding small group and being an attentional leader and curriculum and stuff. What we're going to dive into that next session. We're going to take a relational environment, break down different components of what happened in there. So if you ask that question, we're probably not going to get to it until next session. All right. So... Mm, this is really good. You want to know what it is? Okay. That, that would um, help. So this is, here's a, I'm a discipleship worship pastor at a church of about 250. Um, how best to select individuals to focus intentionally on relational discipleship? So how would you hear this? Where do I start? Where do I start if I want to be an intentional leader and I'm a worship pastor? Well, my answer to that would be, I always go with the goers. When, when Bob's talking about shifting a church, one of the things that typically people do is they go, we're going to shift the whole church at the same time. And you will cause all kinds of division. You don't turn an old or big church, a boat on a dime. You flip the whole thing over. So you go with, you do it the way Jesus did. Jesus went out and can you think of anybody that he asked to follow him and they said no? You can, right? The rich young ruler. Jesus went with the, the goes. He went with the guys uh, and discipled the guys that were willing to come with him. So you go out and you ask people to come. And you'll think of some good possible leaders there, leadership attributes. And you're like, yeah, I want to ask him. If they won't change their time and their schedule and they won't become a part of that, then you, you bypass them. You start with the goers. You start creating a culture and, and after time, people go, hey, what's going on over there? Change, things are happening over there. Can I, can I come in? And, and they change. A lot of times you don't have to make people do anything. They start to get drawn to this change thing that's happening over there. People are growing, getting excited. And they're like, hey, 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 w- wait a minute. And sometimes they'll fight you. but uh, And eventually you may have to fight those fights. But at first, it's just go with the goers. Pick the ones that will make the changes that we call, you know, fat. Which, no, I'm not going to do that. Faithful, available, teachable. Faithful, available, teachable. Fact. There's some really good questions here. A lot of them are centered around uh, a small group and relational environment. And that's great. We'll, we'll get to those next session. Um, here's, there's quite a few on leading the shift. How do you shift um, intentionally shift your church or ministry based off of your position. So I'll, I'll synthesize a couple of them. If you're in the second or third chair at a church, what would you do to really help lead that shift intentionally? Um, I, <clears throat> I think um, the, to build off of what Jim was saying is first, th- those that are closest to you I'm starting to, to invest in them and pour into them. Um, sometimes from that second or third chair place, um, you have people over you that are not interested, that are not uh, willing to do that. Um, they, they, don't, they have no interest in it or are fi- even fighting you. There's a part of it that, that we're called to be disciple makers regardless of what org structure tells you. Um, Unfortunately, I mean, I've seen in some cases to where, I mean, we've, we've had a lot of guys that we've worked with that have said, I've got to step out of my role. I have to do this. I mean, Bob was willing to say, you know what? I'm, I have to go in this direction. I'm not telling everybody to quit their jobs. I'm just saying we have to be disciple makers. And so being able to start with those people immediately in your ministry, if you're a youth pastor, disciple those that are, that are your leaders, um, raise them up, invest in them. If you're a worship pastor, disciple your worship team. Spend time with them and slowly continue to allow the Lord. Remember, this is the Holy Spirit's thing. Prayer and fasting and allow the Holy Spirit to work in people's lives. Don't try to get out, of, out ahead of God and set some calendar and schedule that everything needs to happen in, a, in your timing. Um, some places it takes a while. I have a really good friend of mine that I've been in relationship for about six years. They've been working on shifting this 105-year-old Southern Baptist church for years. 
And they just slowly are chipping away and making some of those changes. But he's been very patient. And it's, it's, been, it's paying off. I love it. Love it. I want to shift gears just a touch, just for time's sake. I know we got three minutes. I want to be respectful. Um, a lot of the questions we'll get to on that next session on relational environment. And they're great. Um, here's one question. Just maybe just give a quick 30 seconds. When it comes to intentionally doing outreach, what are some outreach events that you've done and how did you intentionally bring them into a group? Like, what did that look like? Well, we, we have, a uh, we do, uh, we have a, believe it or not, we have a wrestling program. Uh, have a waiting list of kids that is so long you can't believe it. We have, we have a sports program, basketball, soccer, all kinds of stuff. We have a lifelines program. We feed about 2,000 families a month. We have all kinds of corporate things we do with people who are all in life groups too. So they come together corporately to do something, maybe sometimes with their life groups. But then when people get involved or come as a result of those events, there's a natural pathway where people follow them, not just to the weekend service, but all the way to the life groups. Every road leads to a relational environment. We're not happy with anybody outside of a relational environment. And we will talk about it, eat, sleep, and drink it. People do come to our church that refuse to, do, to get involved. But I can, we can only do our part. God's going to do his, his, and they have to do theirs. Uh, so um, we just keep pushing that ball down, down, you know. So those are some of them. We do an event called the Beast Feast. Um, we did, they do it in Post Falls as well. Um, it's a big outreach to men. And we put our small group leaders to host tables just like in this room and with specific intentional uh, questions. And Bob came over and, and uh, co-led that with, with me teaching. And, and Beast Feast is about hunting and fishing. Yeah. Yeah. And we eat. Beast. Which I, I have no idea why you're involved in that. True. Good point. Good point. You could catch or hunt anything. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, however, his, his best uh, hunting was his wife, Sue. You got to admit, that was a pretty yeah. good catch. Yeah. Helped yeah. See, I helped him out. Never mind. I, these guys. <laughs> All right. I want to, uh, if you have on your uh, table a connection card, kind of a next step. You'll see that if you, uh, there's check marks there. If you're interested in us calling you, we're not going to call you unless you fill that out and say, hey, I want you to call me. And do you have any resources in this area? Or uh, I'd love to walk through some coaching, whatever that looks like. On that, on your table is a card. Just fill it out. Leave it on your table and uh, we'll pick it up. But the person that's going to call you is this gentleman. I want to bring up Mark Messick. Mark Messick. So Mark Messick from Alabama, Redemption Church out of Alabama. Um, Mark, I would love for you to just share why you're on the team. We, 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 we recruited you, but you were at a conference listening and you walked through the kind of a process. You went to the DS1 and then you got your senior pastor. You guys went through that. And then you walked out leading the shift over a course of time. And you were a pretty good sized church, 1300, 1500, big church had to make the shift. And you've been the discipleship pastor there for 17 years. And, uh, tell me, why would you choose to be willing to do connections for the network, meaning right. call you and invite you into a next step? Why in the world would you do that? Well, it's, uh, I was maybe in your shoes seven years ago and I was realizing that what we were doing just wasn't making disciples. And I would be throwing 50 people into a classroom, expecting disciples to come out the back door. Cause that's what's supposed to happen. Right. And then I started small groups, but they were just a smaller form of dysfunction. They weren't intentional or relational or reproducible, right? And so after coming through a DS1, um, the light bulb, just as Bob shared earlier, uh, the light bulb came on. And that's a privilege to be a part of this network. Uh, of if, you, if you're looking to go to a DS1, I just want to highly encourage you to do that because it was some of the most, the most profound two days of my life. And others have said that as well. And so uh, coming back to my church, I had people who invested in me and coached me. Uh, Eddie Bateman from Real Life Ministries in Post Falls 
He spent two years, uh, every, every week it seemed like we we're on the phone talking through different things. He was helping me to grow as a personal disciple maker, helping me to, to shift my, my leaders in our church culture to disciple making. And so now God's given me the privilege that I'm humbled and honored to be able to help churches across the country who desire to be even more effective in their disciple making efforts. So I would love to talk to you, help you talk about next steps, encourage you any way I can. And, and thanks so much uh, for being here. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thanks, you guys, for coming to this session. I uh, appreciate you guys putting the time in. I appreciate your passion about making disciples and the intentionality behind it that goes into it. Our next session, will be diving into relational environment, all the different components that go into that. How do you keep people in these relational environments? What does it look like to disciple them? There's a variety of pieces in there, so hopefully we'll see you on next session. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. That's it for today's episode. Check out the free visual introduction for Brandon Gindon's book on disciple making culture. Go to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for disciple making culture visual introduction. Thanks for listening.